0: um kicking off a new series today uh called simply i am and and while that is certainly the shortest title we've ever had for a series at city church literally three letters um it's probably the deepest and most profound statement that's ever been made it is the personal name of god and so we are digging into uh this new series today and so we're going to study uh Starting next week, the I am statements of Jesus. Jesus made seven statements uh, about himself, seven places in the book of John where he said, I am, and then said something afterwards. So in John chapter 6, we find the first one, and he says, I am the bread of life. So we're going to study how Jesus is the bread of life. What it, not only what does that mean about him, but what does that mean for you and for me? Then we're going to look at Jesus in John chapter 8, said, I am the light of the world. What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? How does that Impact our life. Then in, in John chapter 10, he made two statements. He said, I am the gate for the sheep, that, that he's the door that the sheep have to come through. And then just a, a couple verses later, he says, I am the good shepherd. So he's the gate for the sheep. He is the good shepherd. We're going to study each of those statements. In John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so we're not going to do these in Uh, the the same order that they appear in the book of John, because we want to park on that one at the end. We're going to end on Easter Sunday with the declaration that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. In, In John chapter 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And in John chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. Each of these statements tells us something about his character, about his nature, about his ability in our lives, um, and, and it tells us something about what, how we should receive him, how should we should respond to him, about what he can do for us. So we're going to look at each of these seven statements, which teach us about his nature, but they don't just teach us his nature, they actually declare his deity. You see, at the time when Jesus made these statements to his original Jewish audience, um, that, that those two words, I am, had a great significance. You see, the people that Jesus would have been teaching when he made these statements grew up as Jews. And, and as a Jew, when you grew up, when you were about six or seven years old, you started memorizing the Torah, the, the books of the Old Testament law, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And by the time you had your bar mitzvah or your bat mitzvah at 12 years old, you had memorized the entirety of those five books, so those original hearers hadn't just heard a a, a pastor say, hey, God's name is I am. They hadn't just read Exodus chapter 3 once or twice and saw that God made this declaration at the burning bush. They'd actually memorized Exodus chapter 3 and everything around it. They knew that this was God's name. And so what Jesus said, he is the bread of life. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the good shepherd. He is the gate for the sheep. When he made those statements, he was doing something very controversial. Very dangerous. He was He was saying he is God, which was blasphemy punishable by death, unless it actually happened to be true, which in his case we know that it was. And so we're going to look at, at each of those and the significance of them and the implication of them. Um, But I don't think we can dive into each of those and really pull all of the significance out of them until we start with the original declaration in Exodus chapter 3, the ones that his hearers would have thought of when he made these statements. So in Exodus 3.14, we're going to go back and read a large chunk of this passage a little later on, but I want to set it up with this. God says to Moses, Moses says, Who are you? Who am I going to tell is sending me? He says, I am who I am. Everybody say, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. It's like, thanks a lot, God. That didn't help at all, right? Like I'm asking for a name. Tell, tell me something. And you just say, I am existence. I am. I'm sure it wasn't the answer Moses was looking for. And he probably didn't even realize in that moment what a deep statement it truly was. Uh, so we, we, we have to understand a few things as we get into this. One is that we have to understand the significance of names. You see, in the Bible, names weren't just something that you sat around and, and decided, man, th- this name kind of sounds good, or, or this name, uh, it, you know, flows well with our family, or it sounds good with our last name. Like, I don't know how you guys choose names for your kids, but, but they didn't do it that way. Names had a very deep significance and meaning in the Old Testament. Um, i give you a few examples. Uh, the, the Jewish people came through a family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Each of those names themselves had significance. Abraham was originally Abram, and Abram means exalted father. Pastor Vince mentioned Proverbs 11.11 11 in, in the offering talk, and he said, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Exalted means lifted up. So, so exalted means to, to glorify or to be seen, but, but in the context of, of the blessing of the upright, us, we're lifting the city up. In other words, Olive Branch is supposed to be better because we're here. That's the whole point. If God puts a church in a community, the, church, the community should be better off because he put his people there. Um, but but Abr- Abram was the exalted father. So that's a pretty cool name. Man, you're, you're, you're important. You're, you're the big daddy. You're the one that we all look up to. But God said, no, that name's not good enough. You're not just exalted father. I'm going to take you from Abram, and I'm going to make you Abraham. And Abraham means father of many. So you're not just going to be the big daddy for a few. You're going to be the father of many. I'm going to bring a nation through you. In fact, multiple nations through you. But the most important nation there ever was, I'm going to bring the Savior through your family. So Abraham and his wife Sarah have a son, and, and their son's name is Isaac. Anybody remember what Isaac's name means? What is it, Matt? Laughter. Yes. Somebody might have said it. Uh, laughter. Nobody got it in first service, so at least two people got it here. So y'all are better in first service. Congratulations. Um, Isaac means laughter. It means he laughs. Why? Because when Sarah, his mother, first heard that she was going to be pregnant at 90 years old, she did the same thing you would have done. She laughed. She's like, I don't even remember menopause. How am I having a kid? I don't even remember what it feels like to have a hot flash. I'm not having a baby. You're crazy. And we we read that, and we're like, man, Sarah just didn't have enough faith. It's like, man, you would have done the same thing. The angel showed up and said, you're having a baby at 90 years old. So So she laughed. And so they named Isaac Laughter literally means he laughs. It was, well, it was a message of joy anywhere that he went, man. That laughter is medicine. And Isaac was a, was a great blessing. And then Isaac had a son. In fact, he had a couple sons, the first of which was Esau. But Esau wasn't the one who was chosen to bring the Savior through his family. It was Jacob who was chosen, and so Jacob and Esau were, were twins, and you probably know the story, they're, they're twins, and Esau came first, and Jacob came right behind him, so he literally held on to his brother's heel as they came out, he said, you're not getting that far ahead of me, bro, I, I, I'm hanging on, and so they named him Jacob, which means grasps at the heel or, or, or holds on to the heel, which is a very literal statement, but in Hebrew, that was actually an expression that meant deceiver or usurper. It meant that he was the deceptive one, that that grasping at the hill meant you were up to something. And if you know Jacob's story, he was up to something. He was very deceptive. He was very much a deceiver. But what's amazing is God said, even though you're the deceiver, even though you're deceptive, even though your life has been marked by sin, even really from the very beginning, I love you and I choose you. Aren't you glad that despite your deception, God has chosen you today? Aren't you glad that despite your deception, God loves you and includes you in his plan? He says, my plan is big enough that I can even use the deceiver. I am strong enough that I can even use the sinful one, that I can bring my plan through the one who who the world would look at and say, that's not somebody God would love. That's not somebody God would use. He does it again and again. So we see this family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the significance of, of each of their names. And then we get all the way down to Moses. We fast forward 400 years. And Moses shows up on the scene. And if you know Moses' story, his name is also very significant. You see, Moses was born at a time when, when his people, the, the Israelites, were in slavery in Egypt. And, and the Israelites were, were populating too quickly. And the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, said, you know what? They're growing too fast. That they might be able to overthrow us soon. They might be able to take us out. So, so we're going to start killing their baby boys. That way they can't form an army. That way they can't become a threat to us. So, so Moses was born in a time, and he was born under a death sentence, which, by the way, you and I are born under a death sentence. It's called sin. So Moses was born under this death sentence, but God had a plan to rescue him, just like he has a plan to rescue us. And, and so you know the story, his mother made a basket, and she placed him in this basket and put him in the Nile River, and I can't imagine the faith that that had to take. To, to, to let your baby boy go So that he might live And, and she did that and, and the princess, the pharaoh's daughter Finds him the, the, the basket just happens by the grace of God The sovereignty of God To show up at, at the princess's place Where she's down by the river And she sees him And she like, you know what? I'm going to raise this baby I'm going to take care of this boy And so she draws him up out of the water And gives him the name Moses Which literally means drawn out He was drawn out of the water And so it had a literal meaning But it also had a prophetic meaning Because Moses was the one that God had chosen to draw his people out of slavery. And 80 years later, God's going to send him back to Egypt. And he's going to be the one who takes the people through the water. And they're drawn out of the water into freedom from slavery. So names meant something in the Bible. And if we had time, we could go through the entirety of the Old Testament and go through name after name after name. And look at the significance and the meaning and, and the destiny that was indicated by the names. My my wife and I, when we were picking names for our kids, it was a big deal to us. Uh, We actually first started talking about names for our kids before we ever got married so what names do you like and and I can't tell you how many conversations we had to go back and forth over names and uh by the time we we finally had kids we didn't have kids for like five years after we got married so there's a lot of conversations a lot of time in there to debate and, and and a couple times we came across names that we really liked in fact I remember one specifically that I loved for for a daughter and I said like, man this name is perfect it sounds great and, and, and my wife was the, the brains of the operation said, man, we got to look up the definitions. What do these names mean before we settle on a name? And so we'd look up these definitions and, and find out what these names meant and be like, yeah, we're not going to name our kid that. <laughs> we're not putting that on our child. And we wanted something that meant something. We wanted something that had significance. So, so our firstborn, Judah, who's, who's a little over two years, his name uh, comes from the same family. In fact, he was Jacob's son. So he's one generation removed from, from Jacob. And he was Jacob's fourth son through his first wife, Leah. And Leah was the wife that that, that Jacob didn't love. If you know the story, he was in love with Rachel, the the beautiful one, and and, and not so much with Leah. And and so Leah's first three sons, she named out of her insecurity. Man, maybe he'll love me now. Maybe he'll notice me now. Maybe because I've given him a child, my my husband will finally care about me. But with the fourth son, she said, you know what? I'm not worried about him anymore. She said, I'm going to name him praise for for the fourth son I will praise the Lord and she named him Judah which literally means praise and we're like we can put that name on our son man what what a great destiny what a great identity to affix to him obviously we can't control his destiny he doesn't have to be a worshiper he's going to make that decision for himself but but we want that to be his identity from an early age that that he was born to bring bring praise we we love that concept and so then we we get to our, our second child our daughter Alexa and uh her name is, is the female version of a name that's a little more common, Alexander. And they're not Hebrew names, they're Greek names. And, and it means literally defender of mankind. No pressure, baby girl. Uh, what, what, a, what a great declaration that she'd be the defender of mankind, that she'd look out for the oppressed, that, that, that she'd go after the lost, that she'd go after the people who, who maybe get overlooked in life. Man, again, we can't control who she will become. But, but we wanted to give her an identity from the beginning that, that would have significance. And so names mean something more than just, hey, this sounds cool or that sounds cool or, or it sounds like this or like that. And uh, as I was studying this week, I, I actually came across a, a blog that a pastor and theologian named John Piper wrote. And uh, John Piper was actually doing a a very similar series on the I am statements of Jesus. And as he prefaced the series, he talked about names and he actually talked about the the names that he gave to his four sons. Him and his wife have four sons and each of them have a biblical name. And he talked about the reasonings behind the names. And and then he said this. He gave two paragraphs that I'm going to read to you because I can't say it as well as he did. I think they're really, really interesting. He said, now there's a big difference between me and God. Amen. Right. Amen. Right. There's a big difference between me and God. You're with me. He says, when I name someone, I don't have the power or the authority to make the person fit the name. I give names in the hope and prayer that my sons will become what their names imply. But God has the right and the power to cause anyone he names to become what the name implies. The names he gives are sure indicators of the destiny of those he names. And when he names himself, we may be sure that the name is packed with who he is and what he intends to do. God does not choose names for himself at random, say for the sound or for an ancestor or to avoid embarrassing nicknames. He chooses names for the sake of revealing things about himself that will deepen our love for him and enlarge our admiration and strengthen our faith. Today, as we study the name of God, I am. That's my goal, that, that today would deepen your love for him. That would strengthen your your admiration for who he is and, and your desire for him to be everything he wants to be in your life. So this brings us to Exodus chapter 3, where where God names himself. You're probably very familiar with the story, but I want to read the majority of it for you for for context so we understand what's really going on in this conversation between God and Moses. If you were with (coughs) with us in the month of January, we did our 21-day Daniel fast and our spiritual two-a-days, and we actually read the whole book of Exodus. Uh, So you hopefully are are sort of fresh on this chapter. You probably read it five, six weeks ago if you did this with us. But if not, here's a refresher for you. Exodus chapter 3. Moses at this point in time Moses is 80 years old he's been on the run from Egypt for 40 years he's been a fug- fugitive he, he was the prince he grew up in the palace of the, the stepson adopted son uh, uh, of the the princess so he was the, the Pharaoh's grandson Um. And yet, he grew up and be, started to realize the oppression for his people, the Israelites. And he started to try to defend them. He said, I'll be Alexa. I'll be defender of mankind. And, and he went to defend one slave who was getting beaten. And, and he actually killed the guy who was beating him. And so he became a fugitive. He was a wanted man in, in Egypt. He had a price on his head. And so he had to flee out into the wilderness. And as he fled, he met a girl. And, uh, and he settled down with her. And, and so he went to work for her dad, his, his man named Jethro. And so we see him tending sheep. He becomes a shepherd. This man who grew up in the palace is now out in the field with sheep all day, every day. And you can imagine as he's out there by himself, he's probably out there with some regret. He's probably out there with, with some questions. I wonder if my brother and sister are still alive. I haven't seen Aaron, Aaron and Miriam for 40 years. I wonder if they even still exist. I wonder if they think about me. I wonder if they're mad at me. I wonder if they hate me. I wonder if they're embarrassed at me. He probably had a lot of questions about what was going on back in Egypt and, and things that he wished he had done differently, and he probably thought that his life had been wasted, but little did he know the purpose God had for him, even at eighty years old. Listen to this, Exodus chapter three, starting in verse one. It said now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. I don't know why we do that, but anytime we do the voice of God, it's got to be real deep, right? Like God's got a great voice. I don't know what it sounds like, but I know it's super cool. Um, And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. This place is set apart. It's special and unique for my purpose. Then he said, verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. I'm not ignorant about the way they've been oppressed. I know what's going on, and I'm going to move in defense of them. Verse 8, so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and Parasites and Mosquitoites, and all the other ice, right? And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Stop. At this point, Moses is fired up. Yes! God isn't ignorant of what's going on. God sees us, and he's going to show himself strong. My people are going to be delivered. Maybe there's a chance I'll see my brother again. Maybe there's a chance my sister who looked out for me when I was in the Nile. Maybe I'll get to slay eyes on her again and tell her thank you one more time. At this point, Moses' heart is leaping with joy. God is about to do something. And then verse 10 happens. In verse 10, God says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses' attitude does not 180. Oh, God, I was totally on board with you doing it. I'm so excited about me being the one. And there's got to be somebody else. So I'm, I can't lay under the radar. They know me. There's, there's wanted posters in Egypt with my face on it. I can't go back there. I can't show my face. I'm a coward. I've been on the run for 40 years. They're not going to listen to me. What are you doing, God? He has all these reasons why it can't be him, verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? So so at this point, he's just at the hypothetical. He's like, let's just say I actually go along with this plan, God. Let's say I actually participate in that. How is this even supposed to work? Who do I tell them? I just, hey, a bush started talking to me and told me to go and get my people out of Egypt. What is your name? I don't even know you. Who are you? And God answers in verse 14. We've already read it, but we're going to read it again. It says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. That didn't help, God. You didn't tell me anything. That's not a name. What are you saying? I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you And Moses is like, man, why did I even ask the question? <laughs> this is not helpful. This is frustrating. This is mysterious. It's an enigma. I don't understand what you're trying to say to me, God. And then God says this in verse 15. It says, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And then he makes this statement about I am. And I love this so much. He says, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. In other words, there's a bunch of names for God in the Bible, and they're all true, right? And so in the Old Testament, they they called him Adonai. They they called him uh, Elohim. They, They had different names for him. And yet God comes to this one, and he says, this is my name. I'm not just giving you another name to tell them. I'm not just giving you a name that speaks to this situation or this generation. I'm giving you the name that will outlast every generation, that will outlive you, that will outlive your kids, that will outlive your descendants, that will outlive eternity. This is not just a name for me. This is the name. It's significant. It's massive. God declares that his name is I am. Three little letters in English, four little letters in Hebrew. Packed so rich and so deep that, that, that theologians have argued over this name for over 3,000 years since these words were first spoken. So full of meaning that we can't even begin to scratch the surface of it in 30 minutes on Sunday morning. It's a name that's been argued by the smartest and most brilliant and most educated and most learned people on the planet. And it, I went back and I read like six or seven commentaries this week just on this name. What, what, is, what does I am mean? What is the significance of these small letters? And, and every commentary, every Bible scholar has their own spin on it, has their own take on it. Here's, here's what this means. Here's what God is trying to say. And I think they're probably all true. Uh, it's not that one is right and one is wrong, it's that it just means a whole lot. There's so much packed in there that, that you and I will never fully comprehend. God says, My ways are not your ways, they're higher. They're deeper. There's things about him that I'll never fully grasp, which side note, I like that. I don't want a God that I can summarize in a sentence. Uh, I don't want a God that I can completely wrap my brain around. I I like that I have a God who's bigger than me, who's greater than me, who's beyond what I can fully wrap my brain around. So so what I want to do today is is I took notes on on these various commentaries. And and there were three things that throughout the commentaries, three kind of common threads. They had some combination uh, of these things, maybe worded slightly differently, but these implications of the name I am. So I'm going to give you the three common implications of the name I am, and I'm going to add a fourth one that I felt like God God gave me, and you can take that one or leave it. It's not agreed upon by all the greatest Bible scholars there ever was, and you'll notice that the fourth one isn't worded nearly as pretty or as intelligently, because I'm not as smart as they are. But but I want to give you four implications of the name I am. This is not going to... To give you anything close to the fullness of what this name means, this is just a foundation, just the beginning of what God was trying to say when he said my name is I am. The first one is this. I am indicates an existence different from all other existences. His existence is different than my existence and your existence and any existence that ever existed. It's different. Psalm 45, 6, he puts it this way. It says, from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none besides me. And then God declares, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There's not a second, there's not a third, there, there's not uh, a, a tribe, there's not a group of gods, there's one. It exists in three persons in the divine trinity, as we know, but, but I am the Lord, and there is no other. My existence is unlike any other existence, and, and so... We, we know this word holy, which means set apart. Well, God says, be holy because I am holy. In other words, he's different. He's other. And because he's other, he's allowed us to take on some of his otherness. We're created in his image. We're reflections of him. But he says, don't get it twisted. You ain't me. That might not be great grammar, but it's, it's good theology. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I am unique. I exist differently than you exist. Now, we don't like this. Because we define everything in earthly terms. We define everything by our existence. And so something that exists beyond our existence, we push back about this, right? This is why we get all the questions. Well, well, who created God? Well, where did God come from? Well, when did God begin, right? Like, we, we want answers to those questions, don't we? Like, if we're being honest, like, that makes you uncomfortable, doesn't it, sometimes? That you don't know, that you can't answer when somebody says, well, who made God? And you're like, nobody. Like, you want to answer for that, right? That's our humanity. We want to be able to define it. In human terms, and yet, it's great that we can't. His existence is different than our existence. Number two implication of the name I am is I am indicates an existence outside of time. John eight fifty six. Jesus puts it this way. This is actually the eighth I am statement of Jesus in the book of John. There's actually eight. I know you're like, well, you've been telling me there's seven for the last four weeks. There's seven that we're going to look at because there's seven where he says, I am. And then there's a fill in the blank after it. But there is one point where he doesn't fill in the blank after it. He just says, I am. And that's in John 8, 58. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Now, why did he refer to Abraham? Because Abraham was, was the father of the Jewish people, right? So, so, the, so they're referring to, I mean, are you really an Israelite? Like, what, what are your credentials as one of us? And he says, oh, don't get it twisted. I, I existed before you were ever a thing. Before the Israelites were a people, before God's chosen people, you think you're special because you're chosen by God? Well, guess what? I'm the God who chose you. You're special because I made you special. Don't think you have anything on me. Before Abraham was, I am. It indicates an existence outside of time. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Man, I was doing the Daniel fast, and, and I was like, losing weight really fast, and it was awesome. So I was, like, weighing in, like, multiple times a day. And during the Daniel fast, I didn't even weigh the same thing at night as I weighed in the morning, right? I wasn't even the same at 8 p.m. as I was at 10 a.m. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. None of us can can compete with that. None of us can even comprehend that from before our beginning, from before our existence, that he, he was the same, and he will be the same, and he's still the same. There's an existence outside of time. He doesn't start. He doesn't end. He just is. And again, we don't like that because we define everything in time and space, right? Well, what time do you get up in the morning? What time do you got to be at work? What time is this going on? What are you doing on Tuesday? Man, I was born on such and such a day and such and such a year, and this happened at such and such a time, and, and everything has a date and a time and a place but him. He exists beyond that. It's why he can choose to invade human history in this generation, in this generation, in that generation. He can come in and interact in our space and time, but he exists outside of it. And, and so maybe I can illustrate it for you like this. Um, when you make the rules, you can break the rules, Right? So, so we, we can't define him by, by our scientific laws because he made those scientific laws. He put it in practice, and he can choose to break it anytime he wants to. So, so with my son, my son goes to bed around 8 o'clock. And I say he goes to bed at 8 o'clock. That's kind of when we start the bedtime process, and it takes 20 or 30 minutes between changing his diaper and his pajamas and brushing his teeth and reading him a couple books and praying with him and hugging him and, and all that stuff, right? And so about 8.30, I'm done usually, so, sometimes a little earlier than that. And so when I put him to bed, the last thing I say is night night, right? Or night or, night, because that's the way he says it. And so I'm like, all right, Judah, night night. And as soon as I say night night, he always does has the same response. He goes, Mama night night? Like, is, is mama going night night too? And usually I'm like, yeah, Ma- mama's going night night pretty soon. Like we're we're pretty close. And then he goes, Baba night night? And Baba's his sister. It's his word for baby. And so is Alexa going to, to bed too. I was like, yeah, Baba's going night. Mama's putting Baba night night right now. Dad at night night? And most of the time, my answer is, yep, here pretty quick. I'm going to be going to bed, too, except on Mondays, because Mondays I go play racquetball, and I'm gone for a couple of hours. And so Mondays, he doesn't like my answer. I'm like, nope, I'm going to be up for a while, buddy. I'm going to go bye-bye. And so he sees my truck leave, and that's the whole thing, right? But, but he wants to know, like, hey, if this is the rule for me, it's got to be the rule for everybody, right? And it's like, sorry about your luck, bro, but, but Daddy makes the rules, so Daddy gets to break the rules. I don't have to go to bed at 8. I don't have to stay here. I, I can go do it. And, and so God makes the rules. And he can break the rules. He can invade space and time. He can live cross-generationally. He can, uh, he, he can perform miracles and walk on water and heal people and all the stuff that he does that's supernatural because he's not defined by our laws. He just defines them. He's the author, so he has the authority. So I am indicates an existence outside of time and outside of space. And, and third in implication of the name I am is I am indicates an existence that is independent, and unconditioned, from which all existence is derived and dependent. This is, this is a hard one. It's a wordy one, but, but let, let, let me make it for you like this. Your existence was dependent on somebody, right? Like, my existence was dependent on the fact that my mom got on a bus carrying a 45-pound b- Bible and started witnessing to the bus driver, and th- he thought she was cute. So he went to church with her, and he went to church, and he got saved, and God got a hold of his life, and then they started dating, and they got married, and David and Marilyn and brought forth Troy. Like my existence, if, if any of that goes differently, I'm not me. I don't exist. It was dependent on something. And you probably don't like to think about it, but your, your existence was dependent on two people getting close at some point in time, right? Like, like we're dependent on something. Even if you were, you know, conceived in a, in a scientific lab, uh, which there are a few people like that, uh, it was dependent on somebody doing something right? Somebody had to kickstart a process. Somebody had to carry you in their womb for nine months. Somebody had to nurture you and protect you. You were dependent. Even at this point, my son's two years old. If my wife and I just decided tomorrow, you know what? This parenting is not really the thing for us. We're not really into this. We'll just let Judah and Alexa raise themselves. They're not going to last very long because they're dependent on us to provide for them. They're dependent on us to feed them. They're dependent on us to keep them from running out into the street, right? They're dependent, and every single one of us is dependent on somebody else for our existence except God. He wasn't dependent on anything or anyone or, or, or anyone being there for him. In fact, Colossians 1.17 says this about Jesus. It says he is before all things. If you were here last Easter, we talked about Jesus' beforeness. We talked about the, his firstness and that Jesus is before. In fact, he's not just before. He's before before. Like as far as back as you can go, he was before that. Right, so he's before all things, and then it says, and in him, all things hold together. So the truth is, I wasn't just dependent on David and Marilyn Soudon. I didn't know it at the time, but I was dependent on Jesus Christ, holding me together. In fact, I'm still dependent on him. I'm not dependent on David and Marilyn anymore, but I'm dependent on him. He's holding my existence together. So I, we are dependent, but he is independent. He doesn't need us for anything. He exists beyond our dependence. So that's the, that's the high-level theology part of our message today. Now let's get to the real practical nitty-gritty that, that, that maybe we can understand a little bit better and maybe wrap our mind around a little bit more. Number four implication of the name I am is I am is God's declaration that he is truly whatever you need. See, when Jesus came, he came with these I am statements, I am the bread of life. I am the the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the the, the true vine. I am, I am, I am. And he gave us illustrations of what he is. But at the foundational declaration in Exodus chapter 3, God couldn't say, I am. He could have said, I'm I'm deliverer, right? Because that's what they needed right there. I'm the God who rescues you. He could have said that. But if he did, then he would have reduced the definition of his existence to that one thing. So at the very beginning, he wouldn't say, I am this at the exclusion of anything else. He just said, I am. I am existence. I am being. I am it. Because he is everything that you truly need. And the reason I had to phrase it that way is sometimes there's things that we want or that we think we need that are outside of him that are not a reflection of him. It's the reason why we get into to bondage, into addiction, into sin, into stuff that we chase for pleasure that, that's not representative of him. It's because deep down inside, we haven't discovered his I Amness in a certain area of our life where we discovered he was sufficient for all that we need. So we go after something that's insufficient, something that's temporary instead of his thing that's eternal. And and we settle for all this stuff the world has to offer instead of engaging and, and discovering he is all that we need. Here, here's what I felt like God wanted me to tell you today, to declare to you today. If you are powerless, he wants you to know that he is power. If you are stuck, he wants you to know that he is deliverance. If if you are sick today, he wants you to know I am healing. If you've got a broken relationship, he says today, I am restoration. If you are lost, he says to you today, I am salvation. If you are needing new direction and new vision, he, he says, I am the way. I am the light. I want to show you something. I am wisdom. I am vision. I am revelation. If you're in this place today and you're lonely and isolated, he says, I am intimacy. I am significance for the one who's been overlooked. I am, I am, I am, I am. He is everything you will ever truly need, and that's a really good place for God's people to give an amen. He is all that you will ever need. I'm going to read through this list. I wrote a bunch of things down. He says, I am restoration. I am new beginning. I am second chances. I am forgiveness. I am grace. I am mercy. I am provision. I am direction. I am wisdom. I am companionship. I am the fullness of joy. I am, I am, I am. So we're going to do something different as we end service today. Instead of having you raise your hand or even come down front, if you need something from God today, and that was kind of my original plan this week, but if I say if you need something from God today, that implies there's people who don't. And the truth of the matter is none of us have grasped all of I am. We'll never grasp all of I am. Why will eternity not get boring? Because you're going to continue re- to reveal and discover new things about who he is. I don't know everything about who he is. And and even the many of the things that I do know, I don't always apply. So if you're here today and you need restoration in a relationship, he is restoration. And and in a minute, we're going to bring everybody down front. And I'm going to ask you to seek God for whatever it is you need from him. Maybe you need joy. Maybe you need peace. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you need financial provision. Maybe you need a new job. Maybe you need companionship. I don't know what you need, but we're going to bring everybody down front. And obviously, you've got the choice to stay in your seat. That's between you and God. But, but I'm going to ask you, if, if I'm your pastor, if, if if there's any desire in you for more of what God has for you, man, come down and seek that thing. What is it that you need to do?